Hey everybody, Dave Hagan here. Today I want to talk about Locast. Not Locust, Locast. Not the insect, but the TV feed provider. That's today on the Financial Wellness Podcast. Welcome to the Financial Wellness Podcast, Dave's weekly message to keep you on your path to the financial success. Here is your host, financial problem solver and talk show host, Dave Hagan. Hey, hello everybody and welcome to the Financial Wellness Podcast, or as we like to call it, TFWP, coming to you from beautiful downtown Van Nuys in uh, Uncle Studios. Hey, it's Brian Reed. Good morning, David. Always good to be here. Always good to have you. Hey, today I want to talk a little bit about Locast, not Locust, Locast. And before we get to Locast, and you can see how that fits into the overall evolution of our TV, I want to take you through a little bit of history, a little bit of the evolution of TV, maybe a little bit down memory lane. You know, I remember as a kid a whole bunch of years ago, you would get a TV and it would come with rabbit ears. It literally had these two expandable antennas that came out the back. And you'd set it up on the shelf and you'd undo the rabbit ears and you would turn on the channels. And if you couldn't get good reception, you'd twist it and turn it. Sometimes you put a little aluminum foil on one of the rabbit ears and you'd get rid of as much of that snow as you could and you'd watch some TV. That's what it was. And there were three networks. And there were about seven or eight or nine other channels, public broadcasting and some local stuff, but basically three networks. And then we got to the point where instead of having the rabbit ears, the rabbit ears were up on the roof. It was an antenna. So people would go up there and on their roof put a big antenna and there'd be a wire going through the attic and then come down through the wall or through the window because we weren't that cool back then and it would then go to the TV. Or if people were really getting clever, they were putting the antenna inside the attic to protect it from the weather, going down, getting to the TV. So where your TV was was very specific to where that wire was coming in from the antenna. And then, oh man, 70s, 80s, 70s probably, on TV, the advent of cable. And on TV was movies. I seem to recall it was movies only. So you still had all your on-the-air channels. Again, three networks and seven or eight other channels. And then you had on TV, $20 a month, and it was a really big deal. Because before that, the only time you'd really get movies was Sunday night. They had the Sunday night movie and they'd run a big movie and everyone would get all excited about the Sunday night movie. There were a couple of other channels that had like old movies, like black and white movies and stuff, but there weren't a lot of movies. So for 20 bucks, for 20 bucks, you could get on TV in Los Angeles and have a movie channel. And then a little later on, it became cable TV. So now they're using that cable that comes in the wall that on TV came from. And you get all the other channels. You get the networks. You get all these other channels that kind of grew up over time. You get like a, a hundred channels. It got to the point where it was like 200 channels even. Now, not a lot of them you'd want to watch, but there were like 200 channels, including the networks. And of course, now there were 
four networks because Fox basically got built during that period of time. And the price went from $25 to $30 to $35, $40, $50. And there were add-ons. So then the add-ons are like HBO and Showtime. And so, so the bill exclusive of the internet connection, by the way, the bill is like a hundred bucks or more. So now it's getting pretty expensive and people are getting tired of having that many channels and paying that amount of money for stuff that they really don't, don't look at. So TV, cable TV is getting kind of, kind of fat. Enter Aereo. Well, what's that? Well, that happened about six, seven years ago. And it was a small little antenna about the size of your the end of your finger, and it would be connected to a wire that was connected to the, uh, the internet. And you would use an app to get all of the over-the-air signals, so basically your, your four networks, and they would come in through an app on your TV. This was a for-profit venture. They charged eight bucks a month, but they didn't pay the networks a retransmission fee. Now, a retransmission fee is what the cable companies pay to run the the networks um, that are off the air. Remember, the government has required the networks to provide free over-the-air service as part of their community duty uh, for using the public airwaves. So, they initially provided those to the cable companies for free, and then uh, it got to the point where they were able to charge a retransmission fee to recoup some uh, money. So this area was not charging uh, or not paying a retransmission fee, and they argued that they were simply taking an over-the-air signal, which was free, and sending it to your TV. They were simply routing to you something that was free and that they could charge for that. Well... The United States Supreme Court didn't agree. They ruled against them and put them out of business. They're gone. So this aereo, little micro antenna, uh, that whole thing is gone. They were making money. They were for profit enterprise, and they are gone. They've been gone for, I don't know, two, three years maybe already. So enter Locast. Now, the way I found out about these folks is that DirecTV, and we have the DirecTV, and they're having a beef with CBS about not wanting to pay CBS a higher retransmission fee. They're saying, look, we can't keep increasing our monthly fee, and we have to pass this along to our customers, and our customers are leaving because it costs too much. And so as it sits right now, uh, CBS is not part of their lineup. Instead, when you when you go to that channel, it says, hey, uh, we're not carrying it, but you can get CBS two ways. You can go to their CBS app and pay six bucks or 10 bucks or 12 bucks or whatever it is a month. And you can then get CBS on a separate app or you can go get it free on Locast. Hmm. So I'm thinking, what's Locast and what that's going to cost? Well, Locast is free. And they get the network feed and they send it to you through an app. And they're getting it for free. They're not paying a retransmission fee to any of the networks. And their position is that they can do this and they don't have to pay the retransmittal fee because they're not 
for profit. They're not moving the signal for profit. And they make sure that the area where their app works is only within the area of where the network's over-the-air free transmission would work. So they're saying, look, we're not beating you out of any money. We are just taking the, the signal over the air and we are putting it on people's televisions via app so that they can see it clearer and cleaner. Now, already, they've already been around for like about a year, and they've got 200,000 users in 13 cities, including Chicago, Los Angeles, New York, San Francisco, and, and Washington. You know, I, I think it's a great service. I set it up, checked it out when I saw that we couldn't get CBS on our usual feed that we paid for. I think their user interface is a, a little bit clunky, a little bit sticky. But if you only want the networks, if you don't want the extra stuff, the CNNs and the TNTs and the, you know, the other kind of cable uh, networks, it's pretty nice way to just get your, your big four. It's clear, it's crisp, and remember in high definition, you don't get the snow. It either pops in or doesn't. And um, it's a great way to get those networks, and it's a great way to get it for free. And I'm sure a lot of us, including myself, I'm tired of paying the, the 50 bucks. So if you only want the networks and just a couple of other channels, it's absolutely great. It costs nothing. You still pay for your internet access, but it costs you nothing. And you've got what you otherwise would be getting with an antenna over the air. It works out just great. Except two days ago, the network sued Lowcast. And they're claiming that they need to pay retransmission fees if they want to boost those over-the-air signals into your television. So it's going to be interesting to see how this pans out. I think it's a lot different than Aereo because they're not charging. It's, it's a free service. Yeah, you can donate money, but uh, it's otherwise a free service. And in fact, I, I heard that uh, AT&T, uh, who runs this uh, cable, who owns cable, DirecTV now, gave them uh, $500,000 to help them set up. I guess they thought that that would help create alternatives as they have their ongoing negotiations with CBS. But basically, it's a free entity. It's a not-for-profit entity. And they're making sure that they only disseminate that feed within the area that the over-the-air airwaves would go and that that's sufficient to get them through the, the intellectual property issues and will put them in good stead when this ultimately will end up in front of the United States Supreme Court. For those of you that are interested, there's a great article in the New York Times from a couple of days ago. That's July 31, 2019. Check it out. Well-written, very concise article about what's going on. We'll see what happens. Who knows? Is this going to be enough to get them around the rebroadcast fee issue? I hope so. But let's see what happens. So our takeaways from today, well, you know, one of the industries changing before our eyes. I mean, it's changed in our lifetime, my lifetime, your lifetime, but it's changing almost on a daily basis. It changed just a couple of days ago when this lawsuit was filed to shut them down. Uh, how it turns out is going to be really anyone's guess. Uh, another takeaway is, you know, people are tired of paying a, a large fee for a large number of channels. That model uh, is 
probably got to change. Uh, maybe there's going to be some skinny bundles. I've heard some talk about the, the big players coming out with skinny bundles, fewer channels and hopefully lower fees. Maybe that's coming out, uh, I heard, end of this year, maybe next year. We'll see if that's going to be a, a good solution. Another takeaway is that the networks are going to protect their retransmission fees. I mean, last year they made $10 billion on retransfer, uh, retransmission fees, according to the article in the, the New York Times. Um, and maybe even a final thing to think about is, are millennials really that interested anymore in TV? I mean, I talk to people that uh, are younger in age, and I hear them go, well, I, you know, I really don't watch TV, especially if they're not watching sports. I'm not really that interested in the TV anymore. They've moved on to Netflix or um, they've moved on to Amazon Prime if they're if they're going the whole Amazon way. Um, a lot of things apparently I've been told are available on YouTube and other parts of the Internet. I, I really don't think to look there. That's not part of my uh, bringing up or culture. But I think that millennials and subsequent generations are less and less connected to this network TV model. And it's going to be interesting to see how that turns out. What do you think? Send us your comments at the com. Tell me what you think about this cable issue. Tell me how you get your entertainment. And it would be interesting then to take this feedback and kind of have a little bit of a roundtable with Brian on uh, what's exactly what's exactly going on or where you think it might be going. So send us something on our website at thefinancialwellnesspodcast.com. You can do it in writing or you can record an audio clip. Either way, we'll read it or we'll play it on a subsequent Broadcast. So we're going to keep our eye on this litigation with Locast. Keep your eyes peeled. Uh, in the meantime, check it out. It's kind of cool, like I said. And we'll see where this goes. This is Dave Hagan, and you've been listening to the Financial Wellness Podcast. You've been listening to the Financial Wellness Podcast, Dave's weekly message to keep you on your path to financial success. If you have a question that you would like Dave to answer on the podcast, go to thefinancialwellnesspodcast.com. You can leave an audio message with one click of a button or type your message into the question box. Either way, it's sent right to Dave's phone. As an additional bonus, each month, Dave will randomly draw from the submitted questions and pick the winner of a free one-hour personal conversation with Dave to help you achieve your financial goals. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you receive the new episode notifications. Let's listen in now as Dave answers some emails. All right, all right, Brian, I got this one because it's, it's a good one. <laughs> this one's from Mary. Dear Dave, I don't know how to start saving. Can you tell me how? Absolutely, Mary. Here's what you do. You write a check out of your account. You put it into another account that you set up and you start saving. The important thing is you do it consistently every month. If you can have it done automatically, all that the much better. Now, initially, you can move this money into a savings account at your bank. Just put it into a bank. You're only going to get savings account interest, which is hardly 1% or 2% these days. But just put it into an account, get that savings account rate, and wait until it gets to be like about a thousand bucks. Once it's a thousand bucks, then it's graduation day. 
you want to take that money and you want to go to, I don't know, one of the brokerage houses, go to T. Rowe Price or Fidelity or uh, E-Trade or, or Schwab. Uh, a lot of their products are very similar. And you walk in the door and say, I want to open up an account. I want to open up a, a brokerage account. And tell them that you want to put the money in a mutual fund. A lot of them have mutual funds um, that cover different things, run by different people. Um, there's some common brokerage houses that are available at, at all the places. If you want to have some idea on the kind of account that you want to set up with, because they're not going to pick for you, you're going to have to pick. Um, you can go to uh, the book we talked about last week, The Wealthy Barber, and he's got a chapter where he talks about, hey, look at look at their performance over the past three, four, five years. Is it still the same person running the fund? And you put that money into their fund, and they invest it for you. And they take a fee, but the thought is they're going to be able to take after their fee is going to be made, they're going to make so much more money for you that it's worth it. And you don't have to worry about it. And you don't have to keep your ear to the stock market every day. And if you're on vacation, you don't have to worry about selling your stuff if the market goes down. There's somebody watching that for you. But there's a whole series of things that you should kind of think about. And again, I thought a very good description of that process in a particular uh, one of the chapters in the, the Wealthy Barber. So leave that money in that fund. Just let it grow. Periodically check in on it. Make sure that you're still getting a good rate of return and that the same person is running the fund and kind of watch it grow over time. Now, if you go into the brokerage house and they say, hey, you know, great thing to do is uh, buy this stock. If they're telling you stock with this amount of money, I think I'd kind of walk out. This isn't the kind of thing where you want to pick a single issue and you know, put all of your, your savings that you're going to grow over time in a particular stock issue. You want it in a fund that covers a broad range of issues, that's got some diversity, that's not going to necessarily get you 20, 30%. You know, I was talking to uh, someone the other day and they were saying that, look, most people look for somewhere between eight and 12 and anything after that's pure gravy. Some people even tell you anything after 10 is gravy. But remember, even if you're getting 10%, What's in there is going to double in 10 years. So if you're, if you're playing long ball, if you're looking at the horizon far out, the interest rate, while it's better to get a better interest rate, it's not as critical because in theory you're going to be getting um, you know, a significant, consistent rate of compounded return. In fact, I was talking to somebody the other day and he was telling me that uh, he was working for um, one of the private investment groups, and one year they returned 30%. 30%. And they would go out and try and get new clients, and they say, yeah, we, we just got 30%. And the people would say, turn around and walk out the door. We don't want to talk to you. Because their impression was if you're getting 30%, you're doing things that are taking on way too much risk. And he said it was really a problem for them that they had done actually that well. So that's where your money's going to sit for the vast majority of the time, for the vast majority of the, uh, of the years. Now, if things grow and you're consistently making that contribution, Mary, and, and um, you're getting a reasonable rate of return, at some point down the line, you're going to have a real nice piece of money. And I think when you hit the million-dollar-ish amount, some people will say they'll want to talk to you at the half-million-dollar amount, but you can start talking about people that will privately 
manage your money. And so then instead of an institution and a fund, you've got somebody who you're going to pay some money um, looking over your shoulder. They're going to be advising you in terms of different funds. And it's a higher level of sophistication, frankly. So it's something that you might want to think about when you're over, uh, you know, the somewhere between half a million, maybe probably closer to the, the million dollar mark. Now, if you do really, really well, you might want to go with uh, one of the really big boys like Goldman Sachs. Um, I've heard people say that, wow, it would be cool to be a client of Goldman Sachs. Now, not really set up for the private individual investor, but I hear if you got 20, 25 million, maybe, maybe Goldie will talk to you. So that would be a nice problem to have, wouldn't it? Hey, I'm looking for a new uh, private money management house, and I've got uh, $25 million, and I have to choose between XYZ and uh, uh, Goldman Sachs. So that's what I would do. But this none of this is going to happen unless you today write that check for 100 bucks and put it in a separate account and forget about it. And next month, you do the same thing. And the month after that, you do the same thing. And if you get um, a raise, you take a piece of that raise and you increase your monthly savings amount. Um, and you keep doing it consistently over and over and over. And you know, another side issue is when the economy goes down, think about this. If you're still consistently making that contribution, you're now buying stocks that are cheap. Your fund is buying stocks that are cheap. And so as the economy recovers, and it always has seemed to recover, you're going to be getting more increase in value, more return on that stock that you were able to pick up cheap or that fund you were able to pick up cheap during the during the downturn. So uh, stay with it. Stay with it consistently. Don't spend too much time looking about it or thinking about it. You know, when it goes up in value, don't go, hey, wow, you know, I'm... Um, I think I'm going to go out and get a brand new car. No, you leave it there. You stay there for the long term so that it goes up in value and that it continues to double every 10 years if you're getting 7%. If you're getting 10%, it's going to double every seven years. And you start thinking about how many seven or 10 year cycles you can leave that money in there and not be tempted to take it out or need to take it out in your retirement and now you're talking about some serious personal wealth, Mary. So you know what? Do that today. Get that check. Open that account. Move that money across. And you'll thank me some years down the line. Brian, you got any thoughts about this? Total win-win. Yeah, I think that uh, not that hard to do. It, you know, to take that first step is pretty tough. But uh, once you get into the habit of doing that, I, I, I agree with you. Total win-win. Well, that's all the time we've got today. As we like to say, that's a wrap. I want to thank Brian for coming in. I want to thank all of you for listening. This is Dave Hagan, and you've been listening to the Financial Wellness Podcast. You've been listening to the Financial Wellness Podcast, Dave's weekly message to keep you on your path to financial success. If you have a question that you would like Dave to answer on the podcast, go to thefinancialwellnesspodcast.com. You can leave an audio message with one click of a button or type your message into the question box. Either way, it's sent right to Dave's phone. Remember, 
Dave will randomly draw from the submitted questions and pick the winner of a free one-hour personal conversation with Dave to help you achieve your financial goals. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you receive the new episode notifications or share the podcast via the app with your family and friends. This is your announcer, Nick Appel, wishing you every financial success.